On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, I am joined by brand new co-host Kenneth Cotterell as we debut the beginning of the next adventure in Breaking the Game history where Kenneth and I co-hosting the show together and we unveil the conference standings projections that we have for yes both the east and western conferences plus we get into players 100 through 76 on Kenneth's top 100 NBA players board you're not going to want to miss this episode thank you all so much for tuning in we'll be right back with you after this break Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Breaking the Game Show here on the Nothing But That Channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and ladies and gentlemen, today is a historic day for the show, for Breaking the Game itself. Uh, not so much of the fact that you're hearing me bring on the show, but in so much of the fact that who's going to be the next voice that you're going to hear is the brand new co-host. Yes, we have a brand new co-host here on Breaking the Game. It's a great friend of mine. He's been on the show before. I've been a part of his show. We're a part of the same network at Off the Ball Network. He is the head editor there where I'm the director of daily operations. So you have a little bit of the big brass sharing the show here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from Canada, Mr. Kenneth Cotterell. Kenneth, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing really well, man. Super excited for the opportunity to pair up with you. And obviously, as you said, we've been on each other's shows We've been following each other's work for a long time and stars just kind of aligned where we we're both looking for for something new and um, partnering together with the break in the game show, I think is going to be really good and we're going to have a ton of great discussions. So uh, super excited to have you as a co-host as well. And I know we're, we're going to put on a great show. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I totally respect uh, your your thoughts and your takes and your insight to the game. Uh, definitely well respected amongst, you know, members of other podcasts and definitely within the off the ball network itself um feel like you've brought in a lot of great things to to off the ball since you've been there and as soon as it looked like you might have been in the market to want to be on a basketball show i said hey let me go ahead and shoot my shot for kenneth and uh you know everything the rest is history and history lays ahead of us and starting today kenneth our debut episode together we have a lot that we're going to discuss first off we're going to lead off with the our conference projections. Yes, we're going to go over the Western and Eastern conference projections based off of the off season and the draft that both teams in the West and East have had. And then moving forward, we're going to get into your top 100 players. So why don't you give the folks a little tease on that? Definitely. Today's is going to be all about players 100 through 76. There's a lot of role players. There's some guys who put up really good numbers on some teams that didn't make the playoffs and there's just a nice mixture of veterans and young players on the list here today. And uh, super excited to share with you guys that this list won't have any rookies on it. So if you're looking for your Cade Cunninghams and Jalen Greens, I don't typically put them in my top 100, regardless of their potential until I see them play an actual NBA game. So this is all guys who were in the league last year, could be entering their second year, third year, 15th year, doesn't really matter. Oh, and that's great stuff. And, uh, Unfortunately, folks, I don't have a top 100 list that we're going to be getting into, so I'm just going to get to criticize Kenneth's list that he has. I'm, I know I've seen it ahead of time, just to let everybody know. It's a good list. I would only change probably half of it, so it's not too bad at all. So moving <laughs> forward, we'll talk about our conference projections. And Kenneth, let's go ahead and pull up this nice graphic for the folks that are tuning in live watching us. Uh, for those who are listening, we're going to do a good job of explaining where everyone falls and we're going to talk about some of the similarities, but mainly probably going to be the differences. That's the fun thing to do when we analyze sports is say, hey, my take is better than yours. We're going to get into that right now. So, Kenneth, in the Western Conference, surprise, surprise, I have the Los Angeles Lakers as the one seed. Rounding out the top three are the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. In fourth place, I have the Denver Nuggets. In fifth, the Los Angeles Clippers. Six, the Golden State Warriors. This might surprise a few folks, maybe even yourself included, Kenneth. The Dallas Mavericks are seventh, and then the Portland Trailblazers round out the playoff teams at the eighth seed. In the play-in, I have the New Orleans Pelicans and the Memphis Grizzlies at ninth and tenth. Then on the outside looking in, I have the Sacramento Kings at 11th, 
the Minnesota Timberwolves at 12th, the San Antonio Spurs at 13th. At 14th, I have the Houston Rockets in a dead last place because, let's face it, they're not trying to win right now, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Kenneth, what's your beef with my list? I don't think that I have a major beef with your list. I mean, we're very similar at the tail end, especially when it comes to these lists. Um, I think we, we're both pretty high on Golden State. I'm actually even higher on them than you are. Um, but it's less so about Golden State, and it's more so about the Clippers and Denver because Jamal Murray's going to miss some time. Kawhi Leonard's going to miss some time. So that has me a little bit concerned from a regular season perspective heading into the year. Because I think if we're looking at where they're going to finish in the standings, missing those guys for the amount of time that they could, it's going to affect them. And so my power rankings heading into the year is where I think from day one with the rosters, where I think they're going to finish. So that that would be where I would differ a little bit. But as I said, like towards the bottom, we're both very similar. Like Oklahoma City, we both know are not trying to win basketball games. They're pretty clear on that. The fact that they were even entertaining trading away Shea Gilgis Alexander, the only bright spot really in that organization. Absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs> they're definitely not trying to win many games this year. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. And, uh, you know, let's focus on the top part right here. So the Los Angeles Lakers, we know, had a very um, polarizing start to their offseason, right? They made the big acquisition to bring in Russell Westbrook and Kenneth. How in the world were they ever going to make that pairing of LeBron James and Russell Westbrook fit together. I was of the mindset that, hey, they're two really good players. LeBron James teams typically find a way to at least be somewhat successful. Um, and let's face it, there were going to be people in line to play next to LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook. Everyone was saying, oh my goodness, you know, you know, Buddy Held would have been the way that I would have went. But we see the Dennis Schroeder you know, I'm not of the mindset that we need to make fun of him for him believing his abilities because there's other players on the market that are similar uh, as far as accomplishments and abilities that have made more money than what he was seeking for in Los Angeles. But a lot of a lot of fans in L.A. are thanking Dennis Schroeder for turning down that money because they were able to bring in some really quality players for the Los Angeles Lakers. What do you think about them being the first seed? Is that do you agree with me there? I differ with you there where I have Utah at number one. Um, as I said, like it's more so a regular season thing. I think Utah, they were the one seed out West. They also went out and they added some veteran guys in the off season here through free agency. So to me, they just look like a team that will go eight or nine guys deep. Most of the main guys are returning anyways. So they don't have like a lot of adjustments to be made. It's more so those role players coming in and finding their role. Um, as far as the Lakers go, I mean, they bring in Russell Westbrook. That was the big splash of the offseason for them. But then there's just so many new players that are going to have to get integrated into this LeBron and AD system where it's those two and it's like, figure, find your spot so we can find you for open shots. So I think it's going to take Los Angeles a little bit of time. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a lot like Brooklyn or the Miami days of LeBron where it takes a little bit of time for them to kind of coexist the big three and all these other guys that they brought in so I have Los Angeles at two I just think Utah's gonna edge them out by maybe a game or two and then uh, they'll take the one seed there so I don't think we differ that much as far as the top two goes okay so let's talk about the defending Western Conference champions right now so the Phoenix Suns I have them third they kept Chris Paul they kept Cameron Payne. They they brought in a couple little pieces here along the way. Nothing super uh, impressive, at least off paper, but they they felt like they kind of caught lightning in a bottle last season. I know a lot of people were high on the Chris Paul acquisition from last year, but I don't think super a, a large part of the the NBA fan base was expecting the Phoenix Suns to be the last team in the Western Conference standing last year. Um, having them still be inside the top three, is that something that you're looking at as well? Yeah, I have Phoenix at number three. They were the healthiest team in basketball last year. I think that's why they were able to land the two seed, but then they got to the playoffs and, and they showed up and they performed really well. I like that Devin Booker's getting better. DeAndre Ayton's going to continue to improve. You've got Cameron Johnson, who's still a young player there. Mikhail Bridges as well. So I think all those guys are going to get better. 
Uh, the issue is Los Angeles just got that much better and they're going to be that much healthier because that was an issue for them last year. Davis missed time, LeBron missed time. So I don't think it's a slight to have the defending Western Conference champs there. They just don't have the the eighth, ninth, tenth guy that you need if you go through those injuries to be a top two team in the West this year. So that's why I would have them at number three. Okay, and that's all fair and good. And we'll, we'll close out, I believe, the first half of the Western Conference. The team that I want to talk to you about are the Denver Nuggets. And you brought up the fact that you're more concerned about this team because Jamal Murray is going to be missing a substantial amount of time for this season. Uh, and and it, to be honest, the timetable hasn't really been clearly laid out. So it, it, it may end up being the majority of the season, if not all of it. It, ha it all has to do with his recovery and the and the regimen that the team has him on and how he abides by that and so on and so forth, right? But the Denver Nuggets, they still have the reigning MVP in Nikola Jokic, right? They still have Michael Porter Jr., who basically has the runway laid out in front of him. He just has to take advantage of it. I think they drafted very well when they got Bones Highland in the draft. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, here's a, here's a hole. How do we plug it? Boom, it's almost like a hand-in-glove fit, in my opinion, with that draft selection although Mike Malone really isn't the most friendly or rookie-friendly head coach in the NBA. But do you think that the Denver Nuggets are still a team that you have to really consider as a contender without Jamal Murray? I don't consider them a contender in the Western Conference without Jamal Murray. Now, I think Highland is going to come in and play really well. He's someone that I would have as kind of a sleeper to be on one of those all-rookie teams this year. But the issue is, I mean, you look at the West last year, like I think it was third and sixth were separated by like a game and a half, two games. Mm -hmm. So I think even if Highland comes in and plays well, he's still not going to be the caliber of Jamal Murray. And Jamal Murray was phenomenal in the regular season last year as well. So that's why I have Denver slipping a bit. I do have them closer to the six range as compared to the four for you. But I think it, it's more so a health thing. The two thing, the two teams that I have ahead of them, I wouldn't consider them title contenders either. I just think they're coming in healthier. They've got their best players healthy and ready to go. So for as of now, before I see Highland play in an NBA game, I've got to give the edge to the teams that, that just have the healthier veterans. And that's a fair approach. The last team I want to talk to you about in the Western Conference is probably the team that's got the most amount of pressure on them, in my opinion, uh, for different reasons, obviously. But the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, brand new rookie head coach and Willie Green, a lot of success for him in his coaching career as an assistant on various teams to include the Warriors and to include the Phoenix Suns from last season finds himself in a familiar situation because he was a, a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. But an unfamiliar situation that he's coaching a superstar or if you paid attention to my player series, he's actually just a star. He's not at that MVP level <laughs> yet. He, he could jump into that this season, but you know, just a star, a tier two player in my opinion right now, but still projected to be very good for the duration of his career in a very small market situation in new Orleans. So there's a lot going on here. Stan Van Gundy walked away from this team. May have been a nice way to say that he was let go. Uh, what do you think about New Orleans moving forward? Did they do it, anything in the free agency? I mean, most notably getting rid of Steven Adams and Bledsoe, bringing in Valanciunas, uh, drafting TM3 out of the draft. What do you think of their offseason? Did they do anything to, to sway you one way or another on, on their future? I just don't think that they've done enough this offseason. I mean, they had the extension of Josh Hart, which I think that's a very favorable contract. I think he's going to play a much bigger role this year, especially with Lonzo departing. You mentioned Bledsoe and Adams leaving as well, getting traded away. Valanchunas is, I think, a great center to be paired with Zion because Zion wants to finish at the hoop and Valanchunas can stretch the floor. He mm -hmm. is able to step out and hit that three ball. That's something that Adams couldn't do. And you could tell last year, it was a spacing nightmare having those two on the floor together. They kind of had to stagger their minutes in order to make it work. So I'm not sold on new Orleans being a playoff team. I am sold on them being a play in team. And that's a team that could catch fire and end up getting that eighth seed in the West because when you have Zion, when you have Brandon Ingram, who's a 25-point-per-game scorer, that's huge for them. And because they have that one-two punch, 
I look at the teams in around that range. I like Damian Lillard in Portland, but have questions about, well, is CJ McCollum really the number two that he needs? You look at Memphis, it's John Morant, and then it's who's going to step up and be that second guy. They thought it was going to be Jaron Jackson. He's hurt all the time, so that doesn't help them out very much. And then Sacramento behind them. I really like Halliburton. I like Fox. I like Heald, but it just seems like a team they need to they need to reposition what they're going to be doing here. I think they need to move Heald in order to give Halliburton those starting minutes alongside Fox. I think he'd be a great shooting guard for that team that could also play the point guard spot, much like a Fred Van Vliet. So it's New Orleans is a team that I want to see what this new coach coming in is going to do with this roster because they made the right moves in order to create that spacing for Zion. Yeah, and one team that I think that if I was to if I were to come in and take over and make the all the decisions for the New Orleans Pelicans, and it's not just because they won a championship last season, it's just because there's so many different roster similarities, especially amongst the players and their and their styles. If I would have Zion Williamson watch nothing but Giannis tape, and I would have Brandon Ingram watch nothing but Chris Middleton tape. And then whoever the third star is, if you can get him to buy into a role like a Drew Holiday, do that. Because there's so many similarities between a Zion and a Giannis, right? Not so much that he's physically imposing from a height perspective, right? But just the the sheer force of nature, his ability to finish in contact. You know, if he were to buy in as Giannis did this season, as someone who sets really tough screens, and puts the defense in favorable positions for not only him, but Brandon Ingram as well, I think that that would help them so much. And I think that the comparison that Brandon Ingram came into the NBA with to Kevin Durant, that was never fair for him. I think a Chris Middleton, albeit he's still a really good player, I I link him to be a star just like Zion right now. He's a tier two player in my eyes. I think Chris Middleton is more achievable and, and you know something that he can actually look at and say, hey, I can do this for a Brandon Ingram than a Kevin Durant. Do you do you see any similarities that I'm laying out here? Or are there too many differences there for you not necessarily to buy in? No, I, I agree fully on the Middleton point because down the stretch, Zion's style of play is like Giannis where you don't really want him taking the last second shot. You need Ingram there to hit those big shots down the stretch. And he's proven that he can he can shoot over top of guys hand in his face he can hit those shots and i think that's that's the piece that zion needs there because that's the one hole in his game is that he can't step out and hit those shots when you need him to it's just such a shame that the pelicans don't have a guy like drew holiday you know like mm-hmm. it's which like they, they did once upon a time drew holiday like they was they had there. him or something and then <laughs> let him go i i don't know it's just weird to me they could have had a big 3 there or something mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, who knows what the butterfly effect in the NBA would look like if they would have kept him, you know, how Anthony Davis is he shipped, you know, this, that and the other. So many things could have happened, but they definitely if Josh Hart, maybe could. I mean, I think that's a bit of a jump to see Josh Hart grow up to be a Drew Holiday type, probably more of a Marcus Smart as his his forte. But we'll see moving forward. I don't like to put players in a box because most of the times they break through them or fall through the bottom either way. Right. So sometimes yeah. our expectations could be our own worst enemy. So I feel like that adequately covered the Western conference here, Kenneth, let's dive into the East. Uh, as far as my rankings go, right. I just want to lay out that this is where I have them and you're, you're probably going to do a better job of assessing where these guys go long-term. So um, number one, I have the Brooklyn Nets. I think they might be the best basketball team on paper in the entire NBA. I could be wrong. Um, the defending Eastern Conference champions and NBA champion, the Milwaukee Bucks, um, they've been consecutive number one seed. And then a third seed, I think somewhere in the top three is uh, right where they should be. I don't know how you feel about this one. And we'll talk about it. The Atlanta Hawks, I have third. Then I have the Philadelphia 76ers fourth, the Miami Heat fifth, the New York Knicks at the sixth seed the Charlotte Hornets at the seventh seed, and then the Boston Celtics at eight. And then in the play-in tournament, I have the Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors at nine and 10. On the outside looking in, I have it, uh, the Indiana Pacers at 11th, the Washington Wizards at 12th, the Cleveland Cavaliers at 13, the Detroit Pistons at 14, and then the Orlando Magic dead last in the Eastern Conference, maybe in the NBA. We'll see if Oklahoma has any to, any, anything to say about that. But Kenneth, what do you think about my Eastern Conference uh, conference power rankings. 
Uh, we're actually in complete agreement on that top three. And I said a couple weeks ago that I had left Atlanta out of my top six at the time. And then I watched that summer league and, and I'm normally not a guy that reads too much into summer league, but the promise that Jalen Johnson had and the promise that they had out of their young point guard there. I mean, Sharif Cooper, yeah, like Sharif was, he was impressive. And I'm not saying that either of these guys are winning rookie of the year or anything, but I think that they could come in and give them valuable minutes right away. So if I'm looking at a power rankings here, there's question marks around Philly. We don't know what's happening with Ben Simmons. It sounds like their relationship is severed with Doc Rivers. So we don't know what they're going to be getting in return. If it's Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and a bunch of role players, then that that to me is not ahead of Atlanta. Miami made a lot of changes. I think they're going to be a lot like the Lakers, where it's going to take some time to figure out how does Lowry fit into this system and how do some of these other pieces like P.J. Tucker fit in as well. I look at the Knicks. I like some of the moves that they made. Evan Fournier, while I think he got overpaid a bit, they needed a guy like that that could, mm-hmm. that could shoot. So they got a player of need there. And then I just don't consider Charlotte or Boston on the same level as those teams, like the Atlantas or the Milwaukee's or the Brooklyn's. So for me, Atlanta is, is the three as well. Um, we, we start to differ a bit once we get into the middle, but that's... I think just player preference more than anything else. I might be higher on a guy than you are. That's why I have a team higher up there. The one team that I will say we differ quite a bit on, you've got Toronto at 10. I've actually got Toronto slipping to 12. I really don't think they made the moves that were necessary in order to compete in the East. I think they got a pass last year because they weren't playing in Toronto and and all these other things that they wanted to bring up COVID like every other team didn't deal with COVID. Like, so that's a concern for me. That's why I have Toronto lower. I know shocking the Canadians got Toronto lower, (laughs) but outside of that, our bottom three were very similar. Their orders just a little bit different, but the, the bottom of the East is, is very much in the bottom and they're going to be competing for a top five pick next year. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So I like I like your list. I like where you have some of the teams, and we just differ a little bit. Yeah, and that's all fair and good. And I should have preferenced this before I even got to that. But truth be told, Kenneth, if you were to tell me that, like, it was really difficult when I got to seventh through eleventh in the Eastern Conference, like you could really split hairs. And like you said, it's player preference. I think that Charlotte did a tremendous job of just adding depth and that's something that helps you in the regular season right so the you know the presumed or assumed descent of a lamello ball you know the continued development of some of their other players like bridges or washington you know adding a player like a book night and you know drafting the way that they did i just think that they did enough to add depth which will help them in the regular season uh boston has jason tatum and, and Jalen brown that's enough to where even if they didn't perform up to standards, right, they could easily get a six seed in the Eastern Conference, but just because of their talent alone, right, that looks like they're keeping Marcus smart with the extension that they signed him to. Maybe that's just to help match salaries in a potential trade down the line. He's kind of been rumored to have been a locker room uh, distraction recently, so maybe that's just matching makes matching a, a high-end contract a little bit more achievable, achievable for Boston, who recently acquired a trade exception as well. Um, Chicago, they made a big splash in free agency, right? But I don't think that the pieces that they added are going to help them on the defensive side. And when you don't have great perimeter defense, you're not really going to be counting on Nikola Vucevic to kind of be that defensive anchor. So I have a little bit of questions, but I think their offensive talent is enough to get them in the plan. Toronto, I did. I'm guilty of the thing that you brought up. You know, they never had a home game last year. And we see no matter how you want to split it, that playing at home helps. Yep. It, it absolutely does. So, and they're a talented team. Even I wasn't a big fan of their draft, but seeing the summer league, kind of like how you mentioned, kind of changed my mind a little bit. We'll see how that looks moving forward. The Pacers, they have one of the most complete rosters in the NBA. They just don't have a star. And Rick Carlisle, we'll see how he does coaching a team that doesn't really have a go-to guy. You know, DeMontis Sabonis is kind of him, uh, maybe Malcolm Brogdon, but it just seems like it changes on a nightly basis. I I might regret where I have them. I could easily see them being a seventh or an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, truth be told, Kenneth. 
Yeah. So, so I'll give you my East rankings just kind of from four till about 12. Cause that's where we differ, I would say. So <laughs> I know that you're not as high on Kyle Lowry. I am. That's why I have Miami at four. I really think the addition of him and PJ Tucker, that's going to be a really tough defensive team to go up against, especially I think Tyler Hero is going to bounce back after the year that he had last year, which truth be told, yeah, his shooting numbers went down, but the rest of his stats went up. So it, yeah. it wasn't like he like completely regressed to like an eight point score. Like he was still a 15 point per game guy, which is completely fine for a guy entering the second year in the league. I think they just set lofty expectations because he had 37 points in an important playoff game. And he had a really cool facial expression one game too. Th that he did. The mean <laughs> mug when you've got a baby face is a really bold call there. But I got Boston at five because I really like Tatum and Brown and Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder. Like those are two guys that have kind of got forgotten about Schroeder because of the playoffs and Richardson ever since he really left Miami has kind yes. of been an afterthought in the league, but he's still a talented guy. He's going to help out defensively alongside a guy like a Marcus smart, like having those two potentially playing minutes together could be scary. And Schroeder's on a contract year. So I think he's mm -hmm. going to have a good year. And I, I, I'm all in on him betting on himself. I'm glad as a Lakers fan, we didn't pay him, but I'm glad that he bet on himself to go out. He signed the one-year deal, prove that you're worth the money, and then go get four years, $80 million next year. Philly at six for me, it's strictly because until this Ben Simmons trade actually happens, there's just so much going on there that I, I had to put them a bit lower. I know they were the one seed in the East last year, but I'm going to temper expectations until I see where where that all goes. I've got the Knicks at seven. I know that they made moves. They lost Bullock. They added Fournier. They, there was a lot of other moving pieces there, but the Knicks are still a playoff team. They're solid defensively. RJ Barrett, I think, will have a great year this year as well. Mm -hmm. So I like what New York did. Chicago, I have at eight, strictly because they have <laughs> four what I would deem like B-tier stars. Yeah. So because they have those four, well, three in Lonzo, whatever you want to classify him as, he's probably tier C, but they still have quality guys there. They brought in Caruso. So that there is a lot there, which is why I would have Chicago at eight, just because of the amount of guys who have been all stars being on the team, Indiana at nine. I think Carlisle will come in and he'll coach them really well. I'm a big Carlisle guy, Charlotte at 10. I like what they did in the draft. I just think they might need one more year and some of these other teams are going to fade next year and they're going to get in. And then Washington at 11. I know that Beal, it's Beal and then a bunch of guys that are out to prove themselves, which is yeah. what I like as the 11 because Kyle Kuzma, KCP, like all these guys that kind of got Harrell. Yeah. yeah, Harold, Dinwiddie even. Like all these guys are out to prove that they are good players in the NBA and they're all going to want to put up really good years. So I think if it all works out, like they're going to be the 11 seed. Like, I don't know what else to say besides that, because <laughs> none of them are going to live up to being like a second star. They just might prove their value to, to stay in the league for a few more years. So that, that would be my rankings four through four through 11. Yeah. And, and that's totally fair. And that's why I was saying like, Anywhere from really 7 to 11, I feel like you could just kind of mix and match, like just hit the random button and just kind of roll with it. And I would buy into it. You know, I could see Boston being better, you know, and, you know, just to put this out there, you know, we're co-hosting together. I can be honest with you. Jason Tatum's like one of my favorite players. So the fact that I put him at eight, like it really hurt my heart. The, the sad part is I'm a Lakers fan and he's my favorite player right now. And that's a Celtics guy. I'm a Duke guy, but when LA had the two pick and Tatum, they passed on Tatum and Tatum went three to Boston. It was like, I got shot in the heart. And so I still have a soft spot for Tatum. It's just so tough seeing him in that Celtics screen. Yeah. And Jalen Brown is, is another guy that's just like, they're, they're so good. They have all the tools to, to take over a team. And it's just the roster construction and fit really hasn't gone their way. Not to make this a Boston Celtics podcast for the rest of the day, but, <laughs> That's going to wrap it up here for the um, the 
conference power rankings for the Eastern and Western conferences here. Before we get going into the top 100, I'll, and I'll turn it over to Kenneth to, to run that part of the show, I just want to remind everybody that support for Off the Ball Network, the network that Kenneth and I both contribute to, is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to mybookie.ag, place whatever bet you want, and enter in promo code Off the Ball. They will match up to 50% of your first deposit and up to $1,000 in cash. That's one of the best deals. Nay, that is the best deal that you will ever get in the industry. They offer 48-hour turnaround on your money, some of the highest credit card approval ratings that you'll ever see for a, for a betting site. Go over to my bookie and enter in promo code off the ball, and let's win big together. So, Kenneth, you have done us the pleasure and the courtesy I'm going to sit back and just watch it all as you um, do your thing here and unveil your top 100 players. Not all going to happen today, right? It's just going to be 25 players. You're going to work your way from 100 on up. Looking forward to hearing what you got for us, man. So th this is players 100 through 76. Um, none of these guys, I want to clarify, they're not winning you a championship being your team's second guy probably not even your team's third best guy, but they're very key players that you want to have on your team if you are going to be competing for a championship. So I'll go through the first five and then we can kind of discuss where I have them here. But at 100, I've got Harrison Barnes. He he was pretty efficient last year when you look at his numbers, 49% shooting. He was a 16 point per game guy. We saw him win titles early in his career in Golden State before they decided to move on from him. And then we had the whole Kevin Durant situation, which don't even get me started, given what's been happening with Kevin Durant today. But at 99, we mentioned him in the Eastern Conference. Tyler Hero, he was 44% shooting. Like, that's not terrible for a guard. And everyone acts like he was like 38%, which there's guys on this list that shot lower than that that are slightly ahead of him. So... I might even be slighting him a bit, having him at 99, but a 15, five and three guy. I think he's a very valuable guard to have, especially given how young he is. And he's got guys like Jimmy Butler mentoring him. So I've got full faith in him coming back and having a really good third year. It's just very tough to put him any higher, given the expectations he had going into his second year. At 98, it's a guy that we we missed out on in the NBA Finals and most of the playoffs in Dante DiVincenzo. He's just very underappreciated, like 10 points, five rebounds, three assists. He's kind of a do-it-all guy as far as a role player that you love to have. He could even be slotted into your starting lineup just to fill it out if you really needed him to. And I think he he just provides so much for your team. At 97, it's a guy that you probably didn't watch a lot of last year, given the situation that he's in. But Lou Dort, he was the James, Harden, Dort. the James Harden stopper of the bubble, apparently, because he had a couple <laughs> good defensive games. But he improved shooting-wise, which you'd see, oh, 38%. Well, that's an improvement for Lou Dort. He was also 34% from three, which is what I was more impressed with. He couldn't hit the side of the backboard in the bubble. And then he really improved there. So he's a 14-3-1 guy. He really helps you out on the defensive side of the ball more than anything else. But that's a piece for OKC that they should be keeping long term. And then at 96, Devontae Graham, 15-5-2. The shooting percentages just weren't there, though. I'm really interested to see how his new situation is going to work out for him leaving Charlotte. But those are the first five. Steven, what do you make of the first five players that I have there? I mean, just looking at them, like you you let off in a, in a beautiful way, right? Because you, you're you setting this tone perfectly by saying like, hey, look, I'm going to be talking about these guys. Take everything that I'm saying in the appropriate context. Like they're not the world beaters of the NBA. You're, you're working your way up to those guys, right? You're working your way up to what the casual fan would, would know. Um, Harrison Barnes, love him in the top 100. I, I really... Love his game. I mean, he's kind of gone out of the way of the mainstream vibe, right? Because he plays in Sacramento, and that's just what happens when you're a king. But he he didn't live up to the contract that he was signed to in, in Dallas, and that was something that he, you know, it's kind of one of the things where obviously you grab the bag, but you're gonna your reputation might take a hit, especially if you played with a, a championship level team in Golden State, right? It's just kind of the nature of it. You're gonna be tied to a really good team, and you play on a really bad one, right? Tyler Hero. 
kind of a he needs just a reputation restoration it, this season in Miami. Uh, and it's one of those things, kind of the same thing with Kristaps Porzingis. Maybe we'll talk about him um, in, in future shows. But he he's said that he didn't really live up to expectations. But maybe the expectations were kind of unreasonably set because he did better this season than he did last year. It's kind of like Giannis Antetokounmpo winning defensive or the player defensive player of the year last season. But this season, you can make the argument that he was a better defender this year. So it's just kind of whatever the narrative that's set out in the beginning, you're going to be judged against that accordingly. Right. Uh, Dante G Vincenzo. I don't feel him as much as you, but I understand the gist of it. Right. You know, he's uh, the, one of the ideal kind of quintessential role players where he's a three and D guy. That's one of the most valuable skill sets that you can have in the NBA. I think he's a little bit more turnover prone, but again, you have him rate 98th. I'm not going to, you know, rank you over the coals for that. So, um, Lou Dort, just said I love him, love his game. He's one of these just um, toughest nails, dude. He's almost as big wide as he is tall, but he plays really fast and strong. I love that. And then Devontae Graham, he was the guy that I felt that should have been most improved player of the NBA um, whenever he just kind of showed up from being a second-round draft pick to being a starter on an NBA team, literally improved the most in every margin in every category, um, has an opportunity to – be a lead guard now in new orleans as opposed to being in kind of almost like a running back rotation that he was in in charlotte yeah and and two points from what you had said there like tyler hero yeah the expectations were way too high on this kid coming into the year that's why i just think 99 is appropriate now but to say that he could be inside the top 80 top 75 next year it's certainly possible in that miami system and I mean, Devontae Graham, I'm with you on that. I don't think it's actually the most improved award. I think it's who's the guy who took the biggest step to becoming a first-time All-Star. I feel like that's what it's turned into. So that's why I think he really got slighted and the fact that he was in Charlotte didn't help. Now, the next mm -hmm. five that I have here, there's a couple guys who are mostly scoring, a couple guys who are mostly defense, and then just a young player with a ton of promise for me. So at 95 is Eric Bledsoe. He got traded from New Orleans. He's now finding a home in, in L.A. He's a 12-3-3 guy. He only shot 42% last year. Truthfully, I think it's just a terrible fit for him in New Orleans when you have Zion and you have Steven Adams and then you have a point guard that struggles to shoot. It's just not a recipe for success for that Pelicans team. But Bledsoe still comes in at 95. I'm intrigued to see what his role is going to be with the Clippers. At 94, Sadiq Bay. He's a guy that I was really high on pre-draft last year. He really impressed me in Detroit. Yes, it's Detroit. So we do have to take that with a grain of salt because, well, is this just a guy that has ample opportunity to shoot? Well, he shot 38% from three. He needs to get more efficient from the rest of his game, but a 12-4-1 guy from a rookie, that's a, that's a very impressive number there. So that's why I have Bay at 94. Dragic at 93, and he's come out and said, look, I have no interest in playing in Toronto, and I don't really blame him. He's getting towards the end of his career, doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. So I don't hold that against him. Not that I'm a Raptors fan, so no one really cares my opinion on that. But when it comes to Goran, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get picked up by one of these big teams, and he's going to thrive. He's a 13-4-3 guy. He's very tough given his size. He's one of the toughest guards in the NBA. So I have him at 93. Kyle Kuzma, we talked about him heading to Washington. This is going to be a big redemption year for Kyle Kuzma. He was a 13-6-2 guy, 44%. He just hasn't lived up to what he was the first couple of years in the league. I think part of it is just he doesn't fit well with LeBron James and what mm -hmm. he wanted to do with that Lakers roster. So I have Kyle Kuzma at 92. I think he's going to be even higher next year. I would have him in the 80 range with that opportunity in Washington to prove his skill set. And then lastly, at 91, we talked about him in the East, Josh Richardson. Yeah, 12-3-3 doesn't look impressive, 42% shooting, but he's a two-way player. And I did put emphasis on two-way players in my power rankings because people just cast aside defense at times. And they're like, well, but this guy puts up like 30 points. Well, yeah, but if you're giving up 25 a game, then what's your true value? So 
That's why I have Richardson there at 91. What do you make of the next five? Yeah, um, I'm going to work my way from Richardson up to Bledsoe. I, I love the point that you made about Richardson is that the defense almost kind of offsets any sort of negative blemish in his game. Uh, I, I love that aspect, too. And you you talked about how people will have a tendency. I, I bring up the same thing that guys really only most casual NBA fans will say that they'll bring up points per game, rebounds per game and assists per game as if that's the only way that you can impact the game. And and that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit with Ben Simmons, in my opinion, right, is that just ignore everything else. He can't shoot a three. So that just makes him a terrible player. Right. Not that and not even the fact that he that he can't hit a three is that he won't even try like what we yeah. see with Giannis. So I get that aspect of it, but we ignore so much about a player like Josh Richardson because he isn't a creator off the dribble so much. You know, we saw him do that a little bit in Miami. That was kind of out of necessity. And that's where I think teams kind of fell in love with him and thought that once they once they brought him into their system that they could get more and more out of that. It's really not his role, and I don't think that's where he would flourish. Uh, and now in Boston, we'll see him kind of be maybe the third or fourth option on the floor, and I think that's where he, that's where he, he lives at in the NBA. Kyle Kuzma, I couldn't agree more with the point that you made about playing next to LeBron James is hard for a young player. We don't really ever see a young player thrive playing next to LeBron James unless his name was Kyrie Irving. That's pretty much the only example of a young guy that you could see play next to LeBron James and do an adequate job of living up to the championship expectations. Not much more you can say about Kyle Kuzma other than the fact that before LeBron James, he looked like a really exciting player. Playing next to LeBron James, he kind of re is reduced to a, a defender first off, and I don't think that people give him as much credit on that aspect of it, that he's a quality defender. And now in Washington, he'll give a little bit more chance to to create for himself and others as well. Uh, love Goran Dragic. The, the observation that you made on him, I feel, is astute. Uh, 93 might be a little even too low, but, I mean, it's it's not out of the question to see him there. Love Sadiq Bay. I was really high on him on the draft. I think that he kind of proved his stock a little bit in Detroit, but he is in Detroit. So what else can you say? It's almost the same thing with Harrison Barnes in Sacramento. You're kind of a victim of your surroundings. And then Eric Bledsoe, I think that you might have him a little bit too high. Maybe it's just kind of a preference of a player that I have. I don't look at Eric Bledsoe as a point guard, right? It's not so much that his role, but the position that he plays along with the role. I don't think that it's as valuable what Eric Bledsoe does. But on the other hand, he has shown that he's a multiple time 20 point per game player. He usually lives in that 15 points per game range. Used to be athletic, has has had a number of injuries. Now we'll see what he looks like being back in um, Los Angeles where he had a really, really good stint for himself as a member of the Clippers. And, and I like the Clippers situation because he's not going to be asked to score, which is what I think the Pelicans were trying to ask him to do. That's going to be up to Jackson, to George, to Kennard, to Morris. There's so many guys there that can score, so I like him there. And then Kuzma, you look at the numbers, it's just staggering the difference between pre-LeBron and then during the LeBron era. Let's see what it's like post-LeBron. Then when we get into the next five here, I these are guys that I just would love to have on my team. Like, like, no matter what situation I'm in, I feel like you could plug all five of these guys in and they would find a way to be productive. Josh Hart, the guy that got the bag with his three years, 38 million. Yeah, nine, eight, and two doesn't look impressive, but that was off coming off the bench in a situation where they had players get traded. They had the coach with the new system that no one really liked in Van Gundy. So I think Josh Hart at 90, he's going to play a huge role for New Orleans this year, especially with Lonzo parting. Reggie Bullock, mm. I was I was kind of sad that New York didn't bring him back. But the fact that he gets to go and play with Luka Doncic, that's going to be so exciting to watch. A 10-3 and one guy, but what's most impressive, a 41% three-point shooter last year. Mm -hmm. Dallas hit a lot of threes in that Clippers series. And this is just going to add to their firepower from downtown. And Luca's going to have the ball in his hands most of the time. And Bullock doesn't really want to. He just wants to spot up and hit shots. So I think that's a perfect fit for him there. And when your numbers are that high shooting, I got to have him in the top 100. Cam Johnson, I think he's underappreciated. I think he kind of gets buried in Phoenix because everything goes to 
Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton. And if you're mentioning anyone else, people typically go to Mikhail Bridges. Yes, sir. But I really like Cam Johnson's game. I said when he got drafted, his release looked like Clay Thompson's, just the way that he shoots the basketball. I'm in no way comparing him to Clay Thompson as far as ability of shooting goes. But I do think he still has a ton of value. He's only going into, I think, his third year. So he he's still got plenty of time to figure it out, if not his fourth. Uh, Darius Garland, 17-6-2. He's the highest point-per-game guy that I have in this first 25. But part of it, I think, is due to the fact that he's in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So I think that that hurts him a bit because, to me, if he's on a team that's truly winning games, he's probably closer to that 12-14 to 14 range. So that's why I had him a little bit lower, but he is a 45% shooter. So I do like Garland. He's still got a ton of upside, and he's going to get even better in Cleveland with ample opportunity. And then you got Kelly Olynyk. I mean, the guy was a 54% shooter in Houston last year. Yep. He's going to play a major role for them. Whether people love him or not, because I feel like there's just this stigma around Kelly Olynyk that he can't play. The guy can play. He's been in so many situations where he's consistently got minutes. His value is going to be there, stretching the floor. He's going to rebound. He's going to do all the little things. So for me, Kelly Olenek at 86, what do you make of the next five? Yeah, so um, I I love the list. Reggie Bullock getting a lot of love here on your list. I I enjoy that quite a bit. You mentioned Josh Hart, and you said that, yeah, the numbers may not be impressive i don't know man eight rebounds per game at his position is freaking phenomenal i love that that that's the biggest part of his statistical accomplishments that i would hone in on and i'm sure that that's what happened whenever they were negotiating that bag they say look dude you do every you do all the dirty work on a team that's got stars let's face it most stars aren't into getting dirty and and laying out on the floor they want to be on those pretty highlight reels Josh Hart says, highlight reels be damned. I'm going to go out there and do everything else to make everyone else look better. And you you got to reward a guy like that. That's He's kind of the Marcus Smart, like I said earlier, uh, of this team. Uh, Reggie Bullock, again, just tremendous shooter. He's going to see a lot of great looks playing next to Luka Doncic. And look, there's not a lot of players in the NBA that are looking to park themselves on a, on a, on a position on the court to receive a pass from a player and that be their role in the NBA. So when you can get a guy like that, you do it every time. Uh, Cam Johnson might've had the dunk of the playoffs whenever he yammed over PJ Tucker. So, and he's just a three point shooter. So that was pretty impressive and fun to watch. And, you know, astute observation, he might be the fifth or sixth guy that you're talking about on this team, depending on how Cameron Payne plays coming off the bench to back up Chris Paul. Right. So, um, you know, I don't think that Phoenix forgets about him at all. They definitely enjoy his role on the team. Can start, can come off the bench. You know exactly what he's going to do every night. Darius Garland, I think the fact that he does play on Cleveland, you could almost argue that it's even more impressive that he gets as many points as he does being one of the only options on a really bad team. So it's kind of whatever side of the coin you want to argue. But at the end of the day, him being in the top 100, I think is a no-brainer. Kelly Olenek, this is a guy I think most people would would look at the name and say, how in the world is he there? But if you're a student of the game, you know how important a guy like this is. And the thing that I love about his fit the most in Detroit is not the fact that he's going to space the floor for Cade Cunningham, but the fact that they lost a lot of playmaking. Yes, playmaking when they traded Plumlee away to Charlotte. A lot of people don't realize how important the fact that when you have a big man that you can have the offense flow through reliably, it opens up so much on the floor. Kelly Olin, it can do that for this Detroit Pistons team as well. Love him there. Yeah, definitely. I think that these players all play their role really well. They're just, as I've said at the start, these are not the guys that are going to win you the championship, but they are the guys who could potentially give you a 20, 25 point game in a playoff series that you really need to, to get lifted to a victory. The next five, it's a lot of scoring, um, a lot of somewhat inefficient scoring, but these are guys that you like to have on your team, whether it's your third score, even your fourth. I think the value is there. Canadian Dylan Brooks at 85. He had a really memorable playoff game for Memphis this past year against Utah. He really showed out in that game. He's not going to give you 30 points all the time, though. He's a 17-point-per-game guy last year. I think he's going to help. John Morant in Memphis because they just they need other guys to make plays and I think Dylan Brooks can hit those shots that they need Aaron Gordon at 84 
10, four and two, like it, it, it seems underwhelming, but his value is going to be huge with Jamal Murray being out. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there's Jokic, the MVP. Yes. There's Michael Porter jr. An up and coming guy in the game, but who else is going to step up? And Aaron Gordon has to be one of those guys. they made a trade at the deadline for him, anticipating that he was going to play a big role and he's still a 50% shooter. So it's not like when he shoot, like he's jacking up a ton of shots and missing them. He's efficient. And I think that's going to help them a ton this year, especially without Jamal Murray. Schroeder at 83. I might be underselling him a little bit. Just that playoffs was really tough for me to watch. Mm-hmm. He was one of nine consistently, one of 11 at times. And you're, I just question whether he's trying to do too much at times on the offensive side, because he's a great passer. He was a six assist guy this year, but I think sometimes he thinks that he's a score first point guard when he needs to be more on the distributing side. So that's why I have him at 83, a little bit lower could be a bit better of a defender, but he is serviceable in the league. Kyle Anderson at 82 Brooks is running mate in Memphis. Another guy that you just, you need him to hit shots. He's a 46% shooter on the year. I really like his game, think that he fits well in his current system. And then Reggie Jackson, a guy a couple years ago that almost couldn't find a team. And Mm -hmm. then he found his role in Los Angeles. He played it well, especially in this past playoff run. There's still a ton of value for him. He's a 10-3-3 guy. Yeah, he's not going to beat you, but he can definitely help your team win. So that's why I have Reggie Jackson at 81. What do you make of the next five? Yeah, and um, just Kenneth, just to let you know, we're kind of coming up against it here. We still have a little bit of time, but I'm going to kind of speed drill this here. Yep. I would swap Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks because I think that even on their own team, order of importance, I think it goes Brooks and then Anderson. So I would kind of swap that there. Love the observation on Aaron Gordon. I think that his role being him being the fourth option on on a healthy Denver Nuggets team, uh, that you can't understate how, or you can't overstate how important that's going to be to Denver long term Schroeder he he might have to work his way up here on the list uh to you and to me I don't think that it's out of the question him being 83rd there's nothing really to sneeze at and Reggie Jackson could mess around depending on how the Clippers want to do their starting lineup if they want Jackson to come off the bench because they can have a reliable score on the floor almost every time if he comes off the bench might mess around and be sixth man of the year if he's not careful Definitely. So the last five, we got Jay Crowder at 80, 10, 4, and 2. And he's exactly like Aaron Gordon, except for the fact that he shoots 39% from three, which when you need a stretch for a guy with toughness, a guy that's played in big games, Jay Crowder is one of those guys. I can't understate his value. Then at 79, you've got Bojan Bogdanovich. Had a very nice year in Utah. Um, 17, four and two, another 39% three point shooter. Three point shooting is just so important in the NBA these days, especially when you're a role player, because yes, stars can get away with not being able to hit threes. But when your role is, look, you're going to probably take five or six shots a game. Three or four of those are going to be threes. You need to be able to knock them down at a pretty consistent rate to make it in the league. 78 Rashawn Holmes, great year in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. 14 and eight guy. He's one of those pieces that they really need moving forward for the Kings because they are a team that you and I are both low on. We've got them outside of the playing game. If he takes the next step, they could potentially sneak into that 10 spot. So don't write off Sacramento just yet. Norman Powell, all he does is score. Like he's an 18 point per game guy last year. He was in Toronto. And then when he got to Portland, he even upped it to 19 points. So He's going to be that third scoring guy, especially with Melo leaving in free agency. And then OG Ananobi, career year in Toronto, 16-5-2. I might even be underselling him a bit, given he's such a good two-way player. He's going to be Toronto's third guy this year. Might even have to step up and be their second guy, depending on how the year goes. So OG Ananobi rounds it out at 76. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts. Uh, Jay Crowder is a guy that when you add a guy like him to your team, you're saying, okay, we're putting this like sending a signal flare to the rest of the NBA that we are ready to compete at a high level. So that's what a Jay Crowder is. He's a signal flare to the rest of the NBA saying, take notice of our team. 
Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, you know, we were robbed of him in the bubble. Would have loved to have seen what he looked like in, in Utah when they were going up against Denver for some outstanding games. Had a good bounce back year this year. Uh, plays an important role. He's not just a shooter, although that's what he's really billed as. I think that he does a little bit more creation and defense than he's given credit for. Uh, can't speak glowingly enough about Rashawn Holmes and how much I value him. I think that he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA. And I might put him, my affinity for him might cloud my judgment to where I might put him a little bit higher than where you have him. But I think that you recognize what I recognize as well is that he, you can't, there's no way that you could put an adequate value on him, especially with where he plays right now. Norman Powell, I think 77 is pretty, you know, um, pretty spot on. I, I wouldn't argue him one way or the other right there is about his neighborhood. And then OG, I would put, I, I would let you know right now without even looking at the rest of the, your top 100, I would move him up just because of his defensive value. And I think that he, it, to, he's going to be the crux of Toronto's success. You know, if he stays where he's at now, that's where I have them reflected in the standings. But I think that he has enough in his bag to where he can take another step and really become like a very valuable second option on a quality team. No, I agree. Great two-way player. think he has a ton of potential. He could play a big role in Toronto. Where you have them, that's where they could end up for me if he stays at that level or even improves more. So uh, Toronto's going to be a fun team to watch, and OG's going to have to be a big part of that. Yeah, no doubt about it. But Kenneth, man, that, our first our first show together is in the bag, man. What are your What are your thoughts about the way that that went? I really enjoyed it. Thought that we did a great job of breaking down both conferences. We obviously got into some player rankings as well. It's the NBA off season, but we're never going to be short of topics to talk about. I'm sure on this show. Oh, no doubt about it. And that's the one thing about the NBA. It's the sport that never sleeps. You know, when when the NFL hits its offseason, man, like there's the draft and that takes about a week to get through. And then there's kind of training camps and that might get you a day of content. But the NBA, it's, you know, there's the season, then there's the draft and then there's a moratorium period and there's actual free agency and then there's summer league. And then you're ramping right back up into the schedule release, and then you're right back into the season, man. It's for the for a for a season that does stop and does have as much space between the beginning and end of each season, and then the beginning of the next year. There's so much content that's always popping out, man. And I'm really enjoying the uh, the top 100. I can't wait to dive into that more with you, bro. Definitely, it's going to be a ton of fun. NBA is still a couple months away, but we're really gearing up for it. Yeah, and we did a our our player tiers, you know, that happened before you got here, Kenneth, and uh, really would have enjoyed breaking that down with you. But you know, we're gonna have several more years where we can evaluate those together. But you know, before we close out, man, I just want to uh, thank you again for coming on and agreeing to be the co-host here at Breaking the Game. I think this is the start of something special, man. Uh, really enjoyed the insight and the energy that you bring. Um, before we close out, man, what we what we usually like to do is let the folks know what we got going on and where they can find us. Definitely. You can follow all of my personal stuff at shooters underscore pod. As Steven said, I'm the writing head over at Off the Ball Network. Got another article dropping on Friday. Top 10 fantasy football wide receivers. Definitely something you're not going to want to miss. Golf betting articles every week. NBA articles to come as well. So just a ton of great stuff happening over at the Off the Ball Network. Yeah, and you can follow Off the Ball Network at offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. If you want to follow that on Twitter, that's OTB underscore network. Everywhere else is at Off the Ball Network. We have a Facebook and an Instagram. Would love to interact with you all there as the brand, right? And as for myself, if you want to follow me individually, I'm pretty active on Twitter. That's where I, I normally resign. You can follow me there at StevenBTG. But for following Breaking the Game, you can follow us on Twitter facebook and instagram and we are going to be more active in all of those areas you can follow us at btg nba pod that's btg nba pod and you can follow us there and that's where you'll get a lot of the streaming stuff that you're watching now if you're watching live but if you're not and you're listening to us on the nothing but that channel here on dash radio just want to thank you all so much um, don't forget, if you want to continue to support the show, we have podcasts available too. anywhere that you get your podcast. Go and search Breaking the Game. You'll find the fun little basketball and the headphones there. But um, before we close, I just want to remind everybody that we were 
mentioning earlier that support for Off the Ball Network is brought to you by my book. You don't forget that support for Breaking the Game is brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, enter promo code BTG. They'll hook you up with a 20% discount and free shipping on anything that you want, whether there's a deal on it currently or not. They'll add even more so you can save more, you can feel good, you can look good, and you can help further the show. So, Kenneth, well, let's go ahead and close out for the people, man. Definitely. All right. So thank you all so much for watching and listening. Um, We'll catch up with you all next time. Much love, everybody.